did the 8th Psalm and Hebrews chapter 2. The 8th Psalm and Hebrews chapter 2. So this is our last message on building something eternal, but I hope we don't cease building something eternal. Amen? We are looking to how can we live in this world with an eternal perspective. And this morning I'm speaking on living in view of the eternal. Living in view of of the eternal. We know that God is eternal and we know that God has eternal purposes and all of those things. We, I think that we as Christians, we understand that. But how do I live in this world because we are temporal beings, because we, we really are tied up in time and in the material? How do we live in this world and how do we face life's difficulties in view of eternity? So look at Psalm 8. Everyone look at Psalm 8 with me. And let's start reading in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou, now now I want you to notice this right here, really important, verse five. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, talking about man, and hast crowned him with glory and honor Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Lord, help us now as we study your word. And Lord, help this to be more than just something that we do by ritual. Lord, help us to listen to your word today. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me as I preach and help the hearers as they hear that most of all you're glorified by what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, first of all, any of you who are hunters, this ought to be your favorite passage in the Bible. It's interesting. How many of you know that there are people in the world who think that animals are the same as people? Right? Because they live in a Disney movie. It's not real. Lions don't talk unless it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Lions don't talk. Animals don't talk. Monkeys don't talk. They they don't. And so what this says is that God, this passage is talking initially about Adam. When God created Adam and put him in his creation. Hold, Hold your place here. Go to Psalm 33. I know you're going to try and hold Hebrews 2 and Psalm 8, and now Psalm 33. But you have lots of fingers. All right, so look at Psalm 33. This is such an interesting thing. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, look at this, by the breath of his mouth. You know, that's what inspiration is. So what an inspired creation God made. And then man sinned and the whole creation changed. The Bible says the world that then was perished. 
But the world that God put Adam into before he lost that dominion, he had complete, he was able to control his environment and God put him in the garden and had him tend the garden and then he gave him dominion over fish. Anybody like to fish? Anybody like to eat fish? Right? Over the fowls of the air, go and kill yourself a duck and eat it. Amen? And the, the beasts of the field give me a steak. Hallelujah. I'm getting hungry right now. There's nothing better than a big, fat, about two-inch thick steak because I am a meditarian. See, he gave us dominion over the earth. Amen? But then Adam sinned. And because of that sin, that dominion, and while we still have the opportunity to, to kill and to eat and all of those things, and there is a hierarchy, okay? Animals are not the same as people. They're just not. One of my favorite stories is the guy that uh, he was arrested because he killed a condor, and a condor is a protected species. So as he's before the judge, the judge said, why did you kill this condor? He said, well, I've been out in the wilderness for so long. I was starving. I was able to snare this bird, and I was able to, to cook it and eat it, and it saved my life. And the judge said, well, I have to rule in favor of human life over animal life, case dismissed. So he went out, and a, and a reporter just asked him, so what did the condor taste like? He said, it was somewhere between a bald eagle and a spotted owl. That's <laughs> Somebody that understood that he has dominion over the over the animals and all of those things. I'm I'm always fascinated when they say there's two thousand great white sharks in the world. How many of you ever heard something like that? But they always seem to be where people are and are killing them. You know what I mean? People are crazy. And so we look at this world and we hear how upside down the world is. Well, the world is upside down because sin entered into the world. God gave man dominion. And then that dominion, of course, it has had to pass to Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Now, what we're looking at is how to live with an eternal perspective. Hebrews chapter 2. This is an interesting passage. So that Psalm 8 passage is cited, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to look at today. All right, the three times that that Psalm 8 passage is quoted in the New Testament. So look at Hebrews chapter 2. And look at verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Isn't that a good question? Man, if you're not saved today, you need to get saved. Because there's no escape other than that salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So when these apostles who saw it, they started preaching, God gave them signs and wonders and miracles to affirm the word to the Jews, to confirm the message to the Jews. And who's the book of Hebrews written to? Hebrews, okay? It's very interesting. So keep on. Look at what it says. Verse 5. 
For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. He didn't give dominion to the angels. Do you see that's what he's saying? Then look at what it says. But one in a certain place testified, so that would be David in Psalm 8, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Now, how many of you know that we're not really in control of the planet? Okay, that, that, some of you don't know that. How many of you know that we're not really in control of the planet? Let me try this one more time. How many of you know that we are not in control of the planet? Young people, you're very quiet. And I know that you still have these unformed skulls full of mush. So let me help to give you some information. You cannot destroy the earth. You can't fix the earth. Global warming may be taking place. And we know it will because the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. We do believe in the Big Bang. It comes at the end. It's all going away. Seeing then all these things shall be destroyed, how should we then live? You cannot control the earth. You can't stop what's happening in the earth. Now, can we stop pollution? Of course. Is our pollution destroying the world? No. It's a big world. You cannot control the earth. We see not yet everything put under his feet. Whose feet? Our feet. He gave us dominion, right? He gave us dominion, right? But we can't control it. We can't control it. Remember, Jesus Christ is going to return and destroy the earth. How many of you believe that? That means there has to be an earth here for Jesus to destroy. He's going to destroy the grass. He's going to destroy the seas. He's going to destroy the trees. He's going to destroy the green grass. He's going to destroy the beasts of the field. He's going to destroy the fish of the sea. That means that they have to be here for him to do that, whether you use hairspray or not. Are you all with me? Okay, it's really important that we get this because if you watch cartoons or you read anything in literature, you have this idea that the world is going to end in 12 years. But remember, Al Gore said that 12 years ago. We're still... Are we still here? They're liars, man. They're just liars. The Bible tells us very clearly that right now things are not yet put under our feet. And here's crazy people. I, I, I hate it that I have to actually say this, but there are really dumb people in the world, right? How many of you think that we really have a stewardship of the earth and it's our responsibility to care for the gift that God gave us? How many of you believe that? Hold your hands up. Everybody hold your hands up if you believe that. Okay, young people, look around. Young people. Hey, all you young people, stand up. Stand up. 
Turn around and look at the old people. How many of you old people believe that it's our responsibility to take care of the earth? We have a responsibility. Okay, thanks. You can sit down. So if anybody ever tells you that we don't care about the earth because we disagree with all the climate change garbage, liar, liar, pants on fire. Amen? So we don't have everything under our feet right now. And look at what the Bible says about Jesus. So we're still in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through, what's that next word? Sufferings. Jesus Christ completed his work on earth by suffering on the cross for who? Every man. I like when people said us, praise God. He died for everybody. He died for, that's what he did. And the Bible says that he's crowned with glory and honor, but not all things are yet put under his feet. He's crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And what is his glory? His glory is bringing many sons to glory. And we'll see that in a minute. Now go to Ephesians chapter one. So that's the first place that we're looking at. Ephesians two is the, I'm sorry, Ephesians one is the second where Psalm 8 is cited. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, and look at verse 21. How are we supposed to live with a view of eternity? All right, Ephesians chapter 1, and look at uh, verse 21. Far above all principality and power, I guess we need verse 20 for the context. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, and, what's it say there? Dominion. And every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Remember, he didn't give the angels dominion over the world that was to come. Remember, we read that a minute ago. Notice what it says and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all in all. It's very interesting. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says that Christ is the head of the church. Earlier in the chapter, it says that by him and for him were all things created. So this whole world was created for Jesus And yet Jesus is not the God of this world right now. Who's the God of this world? Satan's the God of this world. And yet Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. So remember, you have the Old Testament is all about physical stuff. It's all about establishing a kingdom on this earth. It's about the land, the land being given to God's people, what they have to do to stay in the land. In the New Testament, we have here no continuing city. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. The New Testament is all about establishing a spiritual kingdom. Are you all with me on this? Who's the head of that spiritual kingdom? Jesus 
Christ. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in, in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We are, who's the church? It's us. It's not just Baptists. It's not any particular religion. It's everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. They are the church. Now, there are lots of organizations that call themselves churches that are not churches because they don't have Jesus as their head. Right? So it's very important that we see this, that the church is Jesus Christ's and Jesus is due the glory of his name. And where does that glory come from? Look with me at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. How to live with an eternal perspective. I guess I should have said this. We live with an eternal perspective when we have a, a real view of reality. A lot of people live in a fictional world. They live in a simulation. They don't live in the real world. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. See, Jesus Christ's body, the church, is where he receives his glory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 22. You know, let's start in verse 17. It just ties so well, ties in so well with our thought. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Do you see the eternal perspective there? Verse 20. But now... Is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So Adam, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So then Jesus Christ became a man. Because Jesus Christ became a man, now we can have resurrection. All right, so that's what the text is talking about. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Now look at what it says in verse 24. Then cometh the end 
when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, I'm sorry, the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, verse 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I'm so fascinated by world events. It's hard for me to focus sometimes on the things I'm supposed to study because I'm so busy studying the things that are going on around in the world, or going uh, on around the world that are so fascinating. You know, as a child, I remember learning about prophecy and how there was going to be a one world government and there was going to be a one world economy. And somehow, when those two witnesses are killed, I think it's Revelation chapter 11, the whole world sees them lying in the street. And so the question is, how in the world could the whole world be watching an event that takes place? And how would it be possible to control an entire world economy? How can that happen? And how can there be one religion that controls everything? How is that going to happen? And we know that you have the beast, and that beast is is indwelt by Satan, and that beast uses this world because he's the god of this world. He uses the world system to control the world. And we start thinking, how is there going to be one government that could do that? Because you understand, there are all different currencies in the world. And so if one currency goes out under, all that does is help the other currencies. So how's that going to happen? Whoever would have dreamed, other than what the Bible says, that Satan would use worldwide corporations to do that. See, you need to understand that banks like Citibank and Bank of America, they are not allowing people with the wrong point of view to do business. They're closing their accounts. If you have an account on the Internet and you give a message, primarily a conservative political message, they're stopping you from being able to make money. YouTube is doing that. Google is doing that. Facebook is doing that. They are controlling the world's message information, and they are attempting to control the world's finances to control it all. Now, how many of you know that's going on? Seriously, you know that that's going on. If you don't know that's going on, you need to get your head out of the sand and look around and find out, man, this whole world is starting to come under the control of a worldwide globalist agenda. And it's not five guys in a room. It's Satan controlling the message that people hear. We have to understand the time for getting the truth out is short. We got a respite just for a little period of time. Isn't it amazing that God has chosen to use Donald Trump? His ways are not our ways. How many of you would have chosen Donald Trump to be God's messenger 
It's so fascinating because the the Republicans that stand up and say, yes, I believe in God. I'm a wholesome man. Do the exact same thing as the Democrats that say, kill all your babies, do everything you can to destroy Christianity. And it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat. They're all doing the same thing, heading us to a one-world government, a one-world economy, a globalist agenda. And God says, I choose orange, man. Doesn't it say in the Bible that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? I, I was completely against Donald Trump because he knows nothing about political theory. Remember me saying that? And yet he has done more conservative things than any president probably in the history of the United States. It's crazy. Why has God allowed that to happen? Because of his amazing grace and his amazing mercy. And there are still people that need to be saved. The message still needs to go out. And he hasn't cut off. God has not cut off the message from going around the world. Isn't that fantastic? I love it that the longer I live the more the Bible becomes true. Right? Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. You know that Jesus didn't get any glory when he came to this earth. They killed him. Very difficult verse here. Look, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, I think that humility is in short supply in our culture. For example... Remember that you wanted to beat up your little brother when he stole your diary. Now we put the diary on Facebook. Right? Humility. Humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the... What's that next word? Okay, everybody, what is that next word? Everyone, what is it? How many of you believe that God has a mighty hand? How do we live with an eternal, eternal view? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Why is this happening right now, God? Why is this happening in my life? How do I live in this world? I don't understand. Well, humble yourself under that mighty hand of God. Humility that he may exalt you in due time. Look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That, that mighty God who has not yet put all things under his feet, 
He cares for you. He cares for you. And while he has not yet put all things under his feet, all things are possible for him. Look at what it says. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may what? Devour. Whom resist. What are those next four words? Out loud, everyone. Okay, everybody look up here at me a second. How's your faith right now? If we, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I do not understand why things in the world are going as they are. I do not know why the righteous suffer. I do not know. So what do I have to do? I have to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. Believe who he is and cast all my care, remembering that he cares for me. But there is an enemy, an adversary. How do we resist him? Whom resist steadfast in the faith. What's that next word? Everyone, what is that word? That the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Here's something we need to understand. Christians everywhere, our brothers in Christ, are experiencing famine and earthquakes, as we read from the Odysseans today, and, and, and struggles and trouble and health problems and financial problems. That, that's, it's in the world. This is where we are. And we recognize that the enemy wants to destroy us, that, that death and, and sickness and disease and trouble and bad economies and bad leaders and all that is in the world because of sin. Are you all with me on this? Now look at what the text says. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Man, this is a tremendous verse, verse 10. But... The God of, what are those next two words? Some grace or all grace? All grace. Now look, who hath called us unto his, what are those next two words? Eternal glory by Jesus Christ. There's a time word here. What's the time word? Boy, that after. May I give my own commentary on this situation? I hate that after. I hate it. Look at what it says. After that ye have suffered a while. Eternal glory after suffering for a while. Do you see that? I love hearing that baby. It is awesome. I love that. So this is so important. Look at what it says. Baby saying, Amen. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, look at this, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, 
settle you. Now look at to him, that's Jesus. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How do we live in this life with an eternal perspective? When we remember this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Listen, if we believe that we're going to live this life without trouble, we have not read the Bible. When you're in that trouble, you start questioning God. Here's the good news. He's a great and a mighty God and he loves you. He's big enough for you to question him. And do you know what often the answer from us brethren is? I don't know. I don't know. But I know I do need to humble myself under that mighty hand of God. How do I live in this present world? How do I live with an eternal perspective when I understand that three places in the New Testament, the Bible says that he's not yet put all things under our feet? But we're going to look to Jesus because what did he do for Jesus? Wherefore, he hath given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Let me just tell you something. Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ has not yet subdued everything in this world. He hasn't. He hasn't. Why? Because if he did, no one else could be saved. Your suffering, your trouble, the adversity that you experience, God could stop it right now. But that also means no one else would be saved. Can I show you one more passage and we'll be done? Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. You know, this is an easy message to say amen to when you're not in trouble. Man, I, I know, but I've also been in trouble. And I was thankful that I had heard this when I went into it. Are, are you with me? Look at, look at what it says. Revelation 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Why are more believers? This is in the tribulation. Some of them die. They're under the throne of God. Souls are there. And say, God, are you going to judge these evildoers? Are you going to judge them now? How long are you going to let this happen? Just a little while longer. After you've suffered a while, he's going to make you perfect. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish in you. Why? Because we are his glory. 
See, Jesus Christ, when he came, he was born of a virgin, no glory there. He was born in a stable, in a, in a cave, no glory there. He was raised in, as a peasant, there's no glory there. He then became a carpenter, there's really no glory there. He was then became a teacher, and he said a prophet is not without honor, but in his own home and is among his own kin and with his family. No glory there. He became a teacher, and people followed him, and when he died, there were about 120 people. No glory there. And yet he established a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You don't see it. The kingdom of God, according to the book of Romans, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that kingdom is in us. He did establish a kingdom. And now there are millions and millions and millions of people in that kingdom who will give him glory throughout all the ages. And we need to give him glory today. We need to give him glory as we live. We need to give him glory as we suffer. And then as a church, we need to come alongside those who are suffering when we are not, so they know they're not alone in the world and God has not abandoned them. Amen? How are we going to live in this present evil world? How are we going to live? By the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us, that's exactly what the text says. Amen? How are we going to live? How are we going to live in view of the eternal? Recognize that nothing in this world is as it should be. Jesus Christ is on his throne in heaven, and one day he's going to be on a throne on this earth. And then what's he going to do? He's going to destroy all authority and all power and all kingdoms, and he will ultimately destroy that final enemy, which is death. No more death. But right now, right now, we see not yet all things put under his feet. That's why we have to live in view of the eternal. We walk by faith. When that trouble comes... We receive it steadfast in the faith. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I know there are many people in different situations right now, and you are here to help them. Lord, help all of us know how we're supposed to live in this present world.